Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, how to give a decision briefing, part two. So welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the Career Tools Decision Briefing Model, which is the acronym is SOCRR, S-O-C-R-R. Situation, Options, Comparison, Recommendation, and Request. And so last time we, we talked about an overview of the, of the SOCRR model. We also talked about the introduction. We leave it off of the acronym because every presentation you do, you have an introduction or purpose. But if you if you want to be complete, you can call it iSoccer, I being for introduction. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> and uh, so we talked about the introduction and we talked about the situation. So now we're on to talk about the next step in the model, which is options. Yeah. After you frame the situation, right? After you've said, okay, here's the foundation, right? Here's why we are where we are, right? You describe the options being considered in the decision, right? You don't start describing yet what makes them good or bad, Right. You basically list the possible options. That's pr- that's pretty much it. You don't have to describe their key difference yet, okay? You know, one retail space is bigger or smaller or whatever, right? You just show the options and you give a brief overview description. And it's really hard not to go into each option's pluses and minuses right away as you're describing them, right? That's I am so glad to hear you say that because I because the moment the option is up, right? If you've been working with uh, with a decision, if you've been if it's a project leading to this decision, hey, let's find out what we're going to do on X, and it takes you say three months or even six weeks, and and you've been dealing with this all along, the options begin to have weights of their own. They be you, they begin. It's like a horse race, right? They begin to have favorites, right? Yeah, but if the option is a particularly bad one, you just want to say, hey, don't even pay attention to this one. This was this yeah, exactly. Right? Or if it's the one you're going to recommend at the end, you want to say, pay really attention. You know, pay a lot of attention to this one because this is yeah we, we we've been talking about the fact that you know our our show notes uh and slides are out there as pdfs but with the advent of blackberries and iphones and ipads and and kindles and so on we're looking for different ways of providing our content so that managers can have it when they want it right right they don't have to go back and listen to the cast again if you're a premium content subscriber you'll be able to click on a couple of places and get the answer you want and you don't have to read the whole cast to find it it'll be presented in a way that's that's as consumable for you as possible and we're still in the early stages but wendy and i have already been in discussion okay what you know what what is that right what what does it look like? And we, we've started looking at software. Well, by definition, the software already has weight associated with it, right? One's more expensive than the other. And when I say option X, I know it has dollar value Y, and that affects my thinking about it. And you do that for three, four, six months, and suddenly you're, you see the options as strong and weak in various areas. You see them as, as fairly complex. But when you're briefing a bunch of people who may or may not know it to the level of detail you do, you do, and of course they won't know it to the level of detail you do. You are in danger of biasing the briefing because your briefing ought to be about making the right decision, not about your recommendation or not about the bias you introduce. Although a recommendation is not a bias, and you got to be really, really careful. You've got to stay in neutral as long as you possibly can. Look, what happens is you're going to start rushing right? If you start going into pluses and minuses, you don't have time to do all of it when you're just walking through the options because you know comparison's coming next. But you start skipping around and giving a couple of pluses or a couple of minuses. And those people in the audience who think you're biased because the first two things that came up, maybe the biggest criteria is cost. And you have to say, well, this is the most expensive one. And the guy who wants that more expensive one because he believes 
believes it's of more value. Yes, it's higher cost, but there's many more benefits associated with it. And in his mind, the cost value proposition uh, rewards the high cost, high value decision, right? There are very few low cost, high value versus high cost, low value decisions in the world that require a briefing, right? If you do that, the people who are bi- who think you're doing that against their decision are going to be biased. They're going to interrupt. They're going to tune you out. They're going to reduce the effectiveness of your briefing because of your behavior in the briefing itself. The other thing you've got to be careful of when you do options, which is fairly straightforward, is not describe the analysis you're going to use yet either, right? The moment you start giving criteria, the moment you start saying, yeah, this one's high or low or whatever, you begin again to bias the options. And right now we're trying to stay neutral. We're just trying to describe the options as they exist uh, sort of in limbo or in, in, you know, in a purely analytical, um, amoral fashion, if you will. There's a simple selfish reason for this. The simple reason is that the moment you describe the criteria, that your audience is going to start to use it, okay? Further, they're not only going to use it, they're going to ask you to fill in certain parts of it, Right? And probably in ways that serve their interest, no surprise there, or or that hurt somebody else's interest, no surprise there, right? What happens is it causes you to be perceived as biased, either because whatever details are asked for are likely to be notably different in the different options, right? And so you begin creating the horse race when you're just talking about the options before you start talking about the comparison. And look, the moment you share one, you're going to share multiple points, right? And and again, you're going to be biased. And then the moment you answer one audience member's question, the gates are open, let the floodwaters begin. If you mention criteria, when you're just talking about your options, it means you're getting into the analysis and comparison, which is inherently ineffective and inefficient. What if somebody asks for a piece of data, even if it's data that causes your recommended action to appear in a really favorite? What do you do then? It's pretty simple. And some of you won't be able to do it. And some of you will just roll over and give them the data they want. And we're not saying you're a sinner for doing that. We're, we're just suggesting that it's more effective. And as you grow in your decision briefing skills, you'll, you'll recognize this and you'll, you'll, um, you'll do it more frequently. You'll say something like, Hey, in the interest of the briefing, I'm going to hold off on details of each option until I share the criteria we're going to apply. And it, I'll be there in just a minute. Right. The fact is, describing the options doesn't really take that long. The comparison step is, is a longer one, right? Particularly if we're talking about significant amounts of resources that are going to be applied to the decision. You're going to get to the comparison very quickly. They don't know that, right? Unless you've prepared an agenda in advance. Wow, that would be cool. But all too often, you're going to be one of many briefings in a larger meeting if you're not just briefing your boss. And so you may only have 15 minutes to run through this. So that's what I would do. You just you just say, hey, look, in the interest of the briefing, I'm going to hold off on details. And again, the key is because you don't want to start comparing things uh, before you get to criteria. And once you start li- listing criteria, people are going to start comparing. At this point, we're just talking options. Now, when you're talking about options, do we need to include the, the do nothing option? Because there's always an option to not do anything differently than we're doing. To not today. take a decision, right. Yeah, I mean, that's an option, you know, yeah, that'd be like number five, do nothing. Yeah. You know, the great thing about that is if you tell your boss, hey, I recommend you do nothing, the boss is going to go, even if I do nothing, I won't call it doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why. Yeah, you're right. We call that the status quo, right? We recommend you have a status quo option in virtually every briefing you do. Okay. We don't call it doing nothing because that has a negative connotation. And so you just compare it, right? And, And look, 
there's a reason for including the status quo. Now you're saying to yourself, I've already got three options. Now you're going to be at four. That's 25% more description of the options right before. And then I got to compare it against the model and blah, blah, blah. Right. Let me give you an example. Suppose you're trying to decide which video system to buy for checking quality on a part you're manufacturing, right? You've got a little video system that the part gets rotated by a couple of gears into a certain orientation and the video takes a picture of it. And the video is calibrated in such a way that it's measured against a, a fairly simple blueprint. And either this thing has the right color and the right shape and the right size based on a fairly simple digital analysis, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, it gets rejected, right? So there are two vendors. You've got relationships with both of them. They're known, right? The price differences are, are distinct. They're notable, right? But so are the quality differences, okay? You could technically justify either choice here. One, because it's more cost conscious. And the other, because you think you'll get more reliability, more value in the long run. And the group could argue about which one's better. And, and neither one would inherently have, you know, it's not one of those dramatic stories where he goes, oh, it's obvious they picked the wrong one, or it's obvious they picked the right one. So the other thing they could do is they could argue and, and end up not agreeing if the boss turns and says, okay, guys, what do you think about this? And they may decide to wait because maybe both are expensive, but one's distinctly expensive, Right. They see both these choices that you've, you've provided for them as good, but pricey. But when you include the status quo, which produces errors on 3% of parts when customers are now expecting 0.03% errors on parts, 100 times different, 100 times higher than what customers can tolerate, you make clear the risk of not choosing either of two options. Now, most often in most companies, most managers and executives feel that the status quo is not completely, utterly broken, right? And even if it is 0.3% versus 0.03, it's what you're using now. And it's embarrassing to say, we stink at this, right? So without the status quo, doing nothing looks like a good cost savings here, right? And so they're not going to say doing nothing. They're just going to say, well, we're going to save some money. But when you include the status quo, it's more obvious that the choice isn't between two options, but rather three options, right, including the status quo, each with its own strengths and weaknesses, and a significant weakness in the status quo. In this example that I admit I made up, although it comes from one I've seen at a detergent plant once, you know, a significant weakness in the status quo solution may make a good decision out of choosing between two weak or another weak option, and your job is to drive a good decision. It may very well be that the inclusion of the status quo helps people say, well, both the other decisions are not great for different reasons, or we can't decide, but we dang well better decide because they're both enormously better than what we have now. And quite frankly, you may have people in the room that don't know the pain associated with status quo, and it's your job to make clear the distinction. And it's also possible that people will look and say, you know, the status quo isn't that much worse. And this, including the status quo causes a decision not to be made. And that then might very well be perceived as might, might very well be sold as saving money. Yeah. And in most cases it, it's an option, right? And to be yeah. a full and effective decision brief, you have to lay out all the options. Yeah. And not only is it an option, we did it today. So apparently it's the option we chose today since we haven't made a decision to change it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so now that you, you have all the options laid out, now you have to compare them. But first, you've got to detail the criteria that you're going to use to do the comparison, right? If you want your recommendation to be credible, and that's what we want, right? Yeah, we yeah, want yeah. our recommendation oh, totally. at the end to be credible. You have to deliver on three components that precede that recommendation. 
One, which we've talked about, the right options. And that means all that are reasonable to consider. And right. we just said doing nothing or the right. the status, status quo. quo is status quo. We want to use what we want to do is we want to use Latin, right? Yeah, oh, Latin. Latin. Yeah, it's all yeah, Latin. Whenever you can throw out Latin, you're in yeah. good shape. The right criteria, which can be applied to all of them. And then, and only then, an honest comparison. You got to do all three if you want to have a credible recommendation at the end. Yeah. And what people do is they think that their decision briefing is about their recommendation as opposed to the decision. And they put their thumb on the scales toward their recommendation. And that's when they fail. What happens is the infection of, I want my recommendation to win, seeps back up the chain in terms of, it starts with a recommendation. I know what my recommendation is. And so therefore I'm going to slant the criteria. I'm going to slant the analysis. I'm going to slant the weighting. And then I'm going to, I'm going to put a false option in there or something like that. And it works backwards from the end of the briefing in terms of how you're thinking about it. And it's exactly the opposite the way it works, right? Yeah. And a smart executive is going to call you out on it because perhaps it, it might be slanting uh, the the choice towards something that they don't support. So they're going to call right. you out. And then what happens is your credibility suffers. And then you suffer the consequence of that in every other decision briefing you make from then on out. It's yeah. a pretty dangerous uh, tactic. Yeah. I mean, you can ruin yourself by in one decision briefing by by fussing with it. There's a, an assumption of professional ethics with a decision brief that – Maybe younger managers don't quite get, but senior managers, senior executives expect if you're sitting around and somebody's making a decision about, are we going to invest $100 million in the Middle East? Are we going to invest it in South America? Are we going to invest it in Micronesia or what have you? Um, there is an assumption that there is nothing in your briefing that is in anything less than, than not just above board, but completely above board and would be above board to somebody who looks for weaknesses and can't find any, right? If you're seen to have your thumb on the scales, credibility is lost, trust is lost, and, and uh, that's the end of, uh, that's a quiet, probably the beginning of a quiet end of an executive career. Right. Um, so look, you lay out the criteria, whatever criteria you believe are reasonable. Now, look, this is not a trivial thing. I, we, we can't give you a thousand examples, but you know, choose your criteria well. And here's the thing. Smart executives are going to attack your recommendation based on the criteria or, and we'll do another cast about waiting at some point. Right. But, but I'll wait how you chose to weight the criteria, right? The criteria you choose to compare options are where to spend the most time if you want to ensure that that credible response. You know, if you skimp here, it's going to be perceived perhaps as you're getting creative to favor your recommendation, which is which is what uh, Mike was alluding to. So maybe you've picked three or five or ten, how, however many criteria, although I guess ten is probably too many, but that's a, again, that's a different cast, right? You list all of them and you talk briefly about each one before showing any application of any of the criteria to any of the options. You know, you don't do any comparison until you talk each criteria. You don't describe criteria one and then compare each option against that criteria. You describe all of the criteria first. You do the criteria first and alone before you apply it to the options. Now, look, think a bit about each of your criteria, this is an important point, and people may think this is a little arcane, but I'm going to try to say it very carefully. A lot of junior managers I've seen when they do decision briefs, in fact, you know, you, you and I have joked about, about the time that I inadvertently shared how to get a raise with somebody, and they used it on Greg, and Greg was like, wow, 
how did yeah. this happen? Well, by the same token, and when we're asked to help with organizations and somebody says, hey, look, we got a decision brief. I, I, I love you in there. I'd love to get some some sense of what you think. I said, fine. And I say, hey, you know, can I see the slides? And they show me the slides. Says, this is not a decision brief. And the, the executive says, what do you mean? I said, well, who's given this brief? Oh, this guy over here, he's really good. I said, well, this is not, I mean, no offense, but I could read these slides and tell you, you're going to be frustrated that you're not going to be able to do what you want to do, make a decision when you're done. And he says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, where's the decision brief model? Where's the template? He says, well, you know, kind of see the pants around here. <laughs> not for $10 million or not. Right. Yeah. So, hey, you want me to go down there and help him on his slides? Well, sure. And then they do the presentation and, you know, <laughs> the young manager goes, that was really good. And the executive goes, wow, that was really good. This decision is easy. And, you know, it, it's actually not the template. It's the manager giving a good briefing and teaching them what goes into the responsibility, the professional responsibility of providing the right stuff to someone else who has to make a decision when you've done the work. But look, th think of it this way. Uh, um, junior managers make the mistake. They think that all criteria should be fairly straightforward, and they are not. All criteria are not equal. My favorite example is cost, okay? Cost is almost always a decision criteria, right? And most criteria, people think, uh, the junior manager says, you know, cost is going to be in there, right? And it could easily be stated in a word or two, cost. Everybody knows cost, right? Boom. The fact is, again, it's more complex than that, and not all criteria can be described in a word or two, okay? Just think about think about the, the freight associated with the word and the concept of cost. Thanks to its prevalence, right, it comes, cost comes with a definition, a given and widely understood measurement, which is less is better. Okay. If I can get X number of benefits for $5, why would I want to pay for X benefits $25, right? Now, obviously that doesn't happen all that often, but sometimes it does. We have a similar number of benefits and we have a noticeably different cost, right? But all things being equal, less cost is better. So if you list cost for a purchase, for instance, as one of your criteria, assuming we're comparing apples to apples, which is which is not always true, it's not a trivial assumption we should make, but, but anyway, everybody understands if cost is listed, what the three options relative standing is in that category, simply based on you putting a number in that row of your decision spreadsheet. And just to be clear, folks, we're not saying you need a spreadsheet. We're just illustrating the basic idea of rows of criteria versus the columns of options with a tool you probably know, which is a spreadsheet, right? But now think about the decision about putting a retail location on the Monterey Peninsula, okay? Surely location is something that's got to be considered. Where on the peninsula would we put it? Nevertheless, location itself cannot be a criterion. Why not? Well, okay, because there's no inherent understanding of the value of different locations, right? Cost, because it's so easy, causes, lulls people into a belief that, that my criteria can be short one or two word things, and everybody knows what the various weighting or the, the value of different options comparison to that criteria is. Less is better when it comes to cost. And it's obvious. We know that it's part of our vernacular. Location is not that easy, right? Well, with the different locations have different values. Right? I can think of one corner being significantly better than another. It has, more, it has better parking. Right, 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 sure. I totally agree. So look, there are two ways you can structure your decision matrix of criteria versus options. 
Okay, now this is where we get a little arcane, folks, but you're going to want to know this because when you know it, you're going to realize why there have been times when you asked your boss for a decision and said something like, this location is better than that one, and he or she didn't respond well because they disagreed. There are two ways you can structure this. The first is to have each criterion explained in detail, including in the criterion its own measuring standards, right? In this case, the criterion itself implies an evaluation of the options, which means that in the column underneath each option across from that criteria, there'll probably be just a ranking or a relative value standing assigned to each one of the options, okay? For instance, let's just give an example. Let's use our retail example. Um, I just keep thinking about an In-N-Out burger on, <laughs> on Monterey Peninsula, sorry. Um, if the location criterion were handled this way, and by the way, if you do the location criteria this way, providing a lot of detail up front, you have to look at all your criteria this way. The criterion would be something like, quote, location. And then underneath that, or discussed around it, is corner lot, 3,500 square feet, traffic pattern A or B, 11 to 15 parking spaces, and total income within a certain radius of how many million USD, right? Now, this way takes more explaining up front when you walk everyone through each of your criterion, right? But you save time when you talk about each option's relative standing against that criterion, right? Now, you, you don't have to list in writing every single subfactor, uh, particularly one as detailed as the one we just gave, on the key slide which shows your comparative analysis. You just have to explain it clearly when you're talking about criteria, uh, and if it is a bit complicated, maybe providing in writing somewhere else early on in the briefing or later on in the briefing in an appendix is a good idea, right? The other option is to list each criteria with the broadest possible title. In this case, you could use the criterion of location, and it would literally just be location. Uh, it, it'd be all you'd mention in the criterion for our retail example as one of the criterion, right? When you were walking everybody through your criteria. But now the difference is in each options column, rather than having a ranking or a result of the comparison based on a detailed criterion, you would list the factors associated with that criteria for each option, right? So following the example, if you just put location, you might have in the comparison field, if you will, in column two or for option one, underneath column one, you might have non-corner, 4,200 square feet, traffic pattern BB, parking 10, income 114 million USD. For option two, you might have corner, 3,400 square feet, traffic pattern A, parking 16, income 199 million USD. Note that you have the same characteristics in both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's not apples to oranges as much as possible. It's apples to apples, right? Now, somebody else would say, I know I know what somebody's thinking. Yeah, okay, we're comparing apples to apples, but how do I weight a corner lot versus a non-corner lot and 4,200 versus 3,400? Well, we didn't say this would be easy. We said <laughs> we're going to make absolutely clear. We're going to make the decision as easy as possible and not talking about those kinds of details simply increases the lack of knowledge or the uncertainty and a high uncertainty around important decisions is a bad idea, right? At least we ought to know where the uncertainty is or where our comparisons are apples to oranges, right? Neither one of these ways is inherently better. 
front-loading the detail around location as an example. The first one front-loads the evaluation of the criteria and lets you do more up front and then perhaps use more judgment in the actual comparison. And the second feels a bit more like fill in the blank, which leaves more judgment to the audience, right? In both of these cases, the underlying factors of the criteria are the same, right? As you, as you pointed out, it's a question of whether to present raw data in the table or the chart, which is that's the version two one, or evaluate and then rank the options against a clearer, more precise standard. And that's the version one one. And look, folks, it's your audience. So you need to make that call. Okay. Now, look, from a visual standpoint, right, we're providing a slideshow. It's nice to have a slide, provided the criteria you've got and the number of options you've got make it possible, which shows an empty table with the options up top and the criteria on the left, where you show that comparison chart without it filled in, followed by a slide or slides showing each column being filled in one at a time or the whole table being filled in with more data or rankings, however you choose to do it. Now, it isn't necessary you do that. You may find a better way to do it. We're not trying to make this dramatic. We're trying to be factual here, but it flows very well to say, okay, I've told you the options and I've told you the criteria, and now here is the options and criteria together, and then I'm going to fill in this chart as we go. And that, that essentially says we're at the comparison step. Be cautious though. Suppose you have three options and you have 10 criteria. That means you have 30 empty boxes in your database, in your spreadsheet, in your chart, in your table, whatever you want to talk about. Please don't then have 30 slides, one slide for each criteria being filled in. Don't do it. Okay. I've seen it. I've seen it. And it's vaguely reminiscent of the time I was in a briefing at lunch in Orlando, Florida at a conference and uh, a person briefed 200 people in a very small room eating lunch. And every single letter flew onto the slideshow, the PowerPoint presentation with a little clacking noise, like a typewriter. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it was literally, it was, it was like the headachey feeling I got after watching avatar with 3d glasses. Well, this person, is this the first time they ever used PowerPoint in their life? Um, Maybe. the charitable, the charitable answer is I'm certain, I'm certain it was bless her heart. <laughs> wow. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now, now we've got this, this in our heads, hopefully you've got this blank uh, slate of, of, of options on top and criteria on the left. You could do it the other way around folks. If you want, it doesn't matter in the comparison step. Then you describe your criteria. You compare each of the options you're considering against the criteria. You walk through each option, comparing it to each of the criteria, each of the criterion, right? In in a big audience, there'll be vested interest aligned with each of the options and probably with each, with so some of the criteria and your, your implied weighting of them perhaps, right? Don't skimp, don't stint, don't skip, cover each one. Heaven forbid you offend the lone supporter of the weakest option and he starts peppering you with questions and he derails you and he fractures whatever chance you had of a, getting a coalition to support your recommendation. I, I have seen some managers that say, okay, let's compare each of the three options to one criteria. In other words, they fill the, the chart one criterion at a time. And I've seen other folks do it one option at a time. I think, again, that's a question of whether or not you you believe it's better to go by option or whether it's to go by 
criterion. My concern about doing it by criterion is they have to keep three options in their head all the time. And if the first three that you go through heavily weight toward one of the options, you're going to get pushback from those people who maybe have a vested interest in one of the other options. So I've found it's better to do it. Me personally, 5149 in favor of doing it one option at a time. Good. Okay. So now that we've done all that, I'm done, right? I mean, I've laid out all the facts. I've, I've presented the options and the criteria in um, a very clear and succinct manner. Um, and so they should have all the information they need to, to make the decision, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. They, well, okay. You're, you're totally right that they have all the information they need to make a decision. But that's where we have to remember that our purpose is to get a decision. And the fact that they have all the information doesn't mean we have a decision, right? So no, you're not done, even though they have all the information they need. You've shared options, you've shared comparison. And basically, it's now your turn to discuss what conclusions you've drawn from the comparison and make a recommendation. Oh, so that's okay. the... the yeah. Like I spell soccer with one R. <laughs> there's there's no recommendation. <laughs> I don't have to put myself out on a limb by making yeah. a recommendation. Yeah. It's, Everybody it's knows soccer f- has one R. Come on. Mark Mark can't spell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you wanted to make an app and call it iSoccer, right? These last two steps, though, really are pretty brief. The recommendation step doesn't exist to allow you to go over the comparison. Please don't do that. Please don't do in your recommendation the comparison. Do the comparison in the comparison step. And when you're done with the comparison, then when you say, okay, it's time for me to give my recommendation, my recommendation is X, right? Don't re-adjudicate the comparison step. And look, it's fairly simple. Something like this. Based on this comparison and our clear concerns about location and income, my recommendation is to purchase tract B and build our outlet there. Now, by the way, when I said that, when I said uh, based on our clear concerns about location and income, that comment is really gives an indication that there may be some sort of weighting in, in my criteria uh, applied to my criteria. That That's not necessary, but if those are the two big ones, then I might very well say that, right? It's very possible that of the three options, one of them wins on the two big ones and loses everything else, but those two big ones are the 900-pound gorilla in the room, right? So again, based on this comparison, my recommendation is to purchase track B and build our outlet there, period. That's a very short sentence. That's how brief this step is. And the recommendation stands on the situation, on the options, and on the criteria and the comparison, okay? By the way, we could have called this criteria and then comparison, and then we'd have had two Cs. And we could have done recommendation slash request, and then we could have had SOCCR, but okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> never forget, now, folks. Now you're true management consultants. Spend there more time on go. figuring out the acronym than actual the material. Yeah. I've said that before, right? I've said that on air that I don't like these acronyms, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. For the four Ds or the nine, five, the nine A's or whatever. Folks, never forget that your professional obligation in this situation is to drive a good decision for the organization. Pushing your recommendation, defending it, isn't against the rules, but be very careful about manipulating the comparison to get the right answer, and I see it happen all the time. Seasoned execs, as Mike, as you alluded to, right, they're going to destroy you for it, or if they agree with what your recommendation is, they won't destroy your briefing, but they'll never trust you again, which is far worse. Absolutely. Okay, look, I, I am, uh, I'm all about getting rid of one of the R's, so I can't get rid of recommendations, so... 
I'm going to get rid of requests. You don't need to do requests because <laughs> you, 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 you've already said this is your recommendation. So clearly then they're going to agree or disagree at that point. Dude, right? whatever happened to you being the high C and dotting your I's and crossing your T's and me being the high I and say, let's just get done. Let's just get done. Move along, move along, move I'm along. Turning right? over a new leaf. Turning over. Right, there we go. Yeah. I'm going to be the old fashioned one here because it's totally necessary. Too many decision briefs slide into information briefs. Okay. Not only do you have to tell people it's a decision brief up front immediately, but then you actually have to make it a decision brief by asking for a decision and getting clear closure at the end of a meeting, which it was expressly created in order to get a decision, right? Now, look, we said before, there are risks associated with this, right? Now, we're clear about risks because we know that the risks of doing this are far less than the risks of you doing it now. The fact is for most, what you're doing now, the fact is for most of you, you're unaware of those risks. The fact that you're unaware of risks doesn't mean risks don't exist, right? It's the crocodile underneath the water before it pokes its head up and you see its eyes right before it eats you, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, there is risk in asking for the decision formally out loud, particularly if you're in front of a bunch of executives at the end of the brief. But not doing so is a fundamental trashing of the reason for the meeting and the briefing. And it implies that you don't believe you've done good enough job to help them make a decision. The statement that you want a, that you request a decision is proof that you believe that you have given them ample decision to take the decision that you've asked them to take. Never be afraid about being clear uh, and then actually achieving your purpose. Right. No, nothing wrong with being clear about your purpose. Right. Yeah. And look, so sure. Totally. It's possible. You'll get a we'll get back to you, which is what would happen anyway if you didn't ask. Right. If you didn't ask and a decision wasn't made, essentially what they're saying is we'll get back to you. But look, if they say we'll get back to you, that's still better, even if it's a little bit less private than not asking and hearing later the decision uh, that the decision maker had made the decision. But you didn't hear it because you didn't ask. And look, if in fact you're responsible for making a decision brief, you're responsible for asking for the decision. And if you don't do it, you're not finishing your job. And if they don't give you a decision, you're not going to say, if they say, well, we're not ready yet, it's completely reasonable for you to say, can you help me understand what concerns you have? And perhaps I didn't cover something appropriately. And that may be a perfect time for questions. Now, we haven't talked about questions here today, but folks, you're going to, you have to safely assume we don't have a time set aside for questions here because we assume you're going to get them throughout. And we generally don't recommend, we rarely recommend that you tell an audience to hold questions. In fact, I can't remember we ever have recommended somebody do that, right? So don't feel bad for putting that decision maker on the spot. If they're not comfortable with being on the spot, then they're wrong. They're the wrong person to make a decision that you're asking them for. <laughs> right. How does it sound? How, how would you recommend doing yeah, it? Yeah, I, I said it was a little bit like closing an interview, right? It, it's not hard, but you might want to practice because yeah, some of you will go, ooh, wow, I can feel that one. Um, some pucker factor there. And it's as simple as this. I've recommended option B. What's your decision? Ooh, sounds yeah. pointed. <laughs> right, but, but on the other hand, Mike, if you and I are sitting there, and let's say Maggie came to us for a decision, what would be our thought if she gave us a decision brief and at the end said, I've recommended a decision or a recommendation B. What's your decision? What would be your thought? For those people who are individual contributors or managers and haven't worked with a lot of executives making big decisions, what would be your thought with Maggie did that? I'd be thinking like right on. <laughs> I mean, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be all over it, right? I mean, the the fact that somebody is coming to the meeting has has laid all the the options on the table along with the criteria, has made a recommendation, is now asking for I I'm I'm digging it. Yeah, it's like the cherry on top, right? It's like, wow. 
Here's somebody who stands up, does what we ask them to do, and then follows through and says, I've done my part. It's your turn to do yours. It's not, it's not a challenge. It's simply, I'm a professional and now it's your turn to be a professional, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what most executives will say when they hear this. Yeah. I like it. Now, so we talked earlier about there's a couple hidden factors that we need to talk about time and risk. Yeah, look, it's it, this is just an important checkpoint. We want it's cool. we want to be brief about it, but we, you've got to add it to your process, folks. Ask yourself for each of the options and for the overall decision, what is the cost or the risk relative to time about delaying a decision, or conversely, the value or cost of moving more quickly. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a listed criteria. But you have to know what the effect is because you're going to be asked, okay? And and I mentioned risk just a minute ago, but but I didn't mean it totally. I, so it's the same is true for risk separate from time, right? Think about each each option, right? Ask yourself what risks that exist for that option that don't exist somewhere else, right? In fact, I've often seen people, if they have four criteria, the fifth criterion is risk and they list the risks associated with each one of the criterion as a criteria itself. Think about each option. Maybe maybe there's a contract risk. Maybe it's a reputation risk. Maybe it's a resource commitment after the purchase risk, right? Think about it and be ready to address it. If risk or timing, fast or slow, have a particular positive or negative effect on one of the option, make sure it's addressed. And include it in criteria if you think it's notable. Agreed. It's just something to remind yourself about. It's a little checkpoint. Have I done this? Let me run through each option. Let me think about timing. And let me think about the risks that exist that are unique to that option. Yep. And folks, we recommend that you use this all the time. Soccer or soccer, if you want you, you to call that. <laughs> to have the introduction there. Think about making it longer or shorter versus whether or not it's important enough to do or not. Right. We, yeah. we made this discussion as broad as possible because these principles apply whether you're briefing the board on a $500 million overseas expansion or a $1,000 USD copy or purchase or lease decision. The right. question to ask yourself is not whether to apply the concept here. That's a given, right? They right. always apply. Don't skip this for the copier and then use it for the expansion. Otherwise, you're not going to be good at it when it really matters. The question to ask is, is this a big enough decision to have eight criteria or is three okay? And and how do I need to weight them, right? Yeah, or do even I if it's a $1,000 decision, right? Yeah, yeah. Think of the rigors of the process, not the value of the decision. Use small decisions to your point about, you know, getting ready for the big one, right? Getting good at the briefing so you'll be good at it when you have a big briefing. Use small decisions, including your own, by the way. You can do your own decision brief, your own comparative matrix to get better at briefing so that when you have to make a big briefing, it won't be the briefing that keeps the good decision from being made. Right. Get the process out of the way. Learn the process, how to make good decisions, how to brief decisions. Right. And then when you have to do it, you're just you're thinking about the content. The process just disappears because you know it so well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And we got to talk about pre-wiring because effective decision briefs are virtually always pre-wired. Yeah. If there's ever been a case for using the manager tools pre-wire guidelines, this is it. Pre-wiring could change your criteria, your options, your weighting, your factors associated with criteria, the timing, the risk, 
everything. If there's one person making a decision, but she's going to turn to her team for input and they're going to be in the meeting, you better pre-wire this whole thing with them first. And for those of you who don't know what pre-wiring is, we encourage you to go back, go to the website or go to your your, your RSS feed and find the pre-wire show and listen to it. Basically, what pre-wiring says is this. If you're briefing your boss and, and uh, let's say two or three of her peers, or there's a group that's going to try to reach consensus, or there's a group that's going to provide input to your boss or your boss's boss in a meeting, those briefings that you see that are really impressive where the person who's briefing gets what he or she wants, it's not the briefing that gets the agreement. It is the pre-wiring before the meeting where that person in advance took a draft of his or her proposal and walked to each person, spent time, got on every person's calendar, went to them, walked them through the process, showed them the slides and said, here's what I'm planning on briefing. Here's what my guidance, here's what my work has told me so far. What do you think? What guidance? What impact? Do I need to change something so that you can feel good about this? How do you feel about supporting it and so on? And you may have to do this a couple of times and you might think, wow, this is, you know, wow, it's a lot of hard work and I have to change my work. Yeah, you do. If you want agreement, if you want people in a room, you know, we, I think we call it a slam dunk, right? If you've ever seen a slam dunk briefing, it's not because of the briefing. It's because of the pre-wiring in advance. You go talk to every one of the stakeholders and you make sure they're on board with what you're saying so that you know how everyone's going to vote in that meeting. And if you're doing a decision brief, this is the time. If you discover that somebody else is about, is, is going to spring on you a fourth option, you better know about it. And you better either include it in your discussion, right, as an option, or make a case for why it ought not to be in there and then defang that person in the meeting. Right. You, might, you don't want to be surprised. Surprise is not good in a briefing or a meeting. The point is that before you even have the meeting, you already know what the decision is going to be. Right. And yes. why would and why would you recommend something that, that folks aren't going to vote for? Yeah. And and, and exactly. <laughs> why, would you, why would you recommend something you're not going to vote for? That's good. And look, it takes more time. And if you want to be good, it's hard work, but it's worth it. Good. That, and this has been a, a long one, but this is is a critical skill for every professional. Yeah, look, you can start now briefing your boss. When you're a manager, you can teach your folks how to do it, right? This is easy to teach. We've given you everything you need, and you're going to use it for the rest of your career. You can use it as a thought process, and you can use it as a template for an effective presentation to senior people. So use the soccer decision brief model, which is situation, options, comparison, recommendation, and request. We went through those in incredible detail. Remember to consider time and risk. Remember, use this model early and small. Don't think, oh, I don't need to use it on that case, because if you do that, then when you really need it, you won't be good at it. And then you've totally got to pre-wire things in advance. Look, it's not just that our bosses don't want to make decisions. That's not the issue. It's that we're not making those decisions as easy for them as we can. If you're a manager, think about your willingness and ability to make a decision if one of your directs came to you with the career tools soccer model, right? That's what you want from your boss. So give it to him, right? Take the time, lay out the options, your recommendations, along with the risks and timing, and ask, take the time to ask for what you need at the end. Let's stop complaining about what our boss is not doing. And, you know, yeah, it feels good for a moment. And start getting what we want as professionals by behaving as professionals with decision briefs. Awesome. Thanks, my friend. My pleasure, partner. Hey, we'll see you.